0: Hello all. welcome to the Lunar Spire Steam Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 148, and today we'll be talking about Kindergarten Kid. I'm GC13.
1: I'm Sophia.
2: And I'm David.
0: This was the Roadrunner
2: episode. Was it not fantastic? Hmm. <laughs> it was a really great <laughs> homage. I mean, the first time when, when Peridot kicks the wall... And instead of the (laughs) injector (laughs) falling down, the rocks fall down. I knew what I was in for. Um, Very funny. You have the double subversion because she gets hit with it later.
0: Yeah, everyone was expecting
1: this to be a continuation of the tragic Amethyst arc. But it actually turned out to be the kind of comic relief in the middle of it.
0: Yes, I am so glad this was a bright, happy episode after Amethyst's character arc was for the most part taken care of. Uh, rather than a brutal, ugh. Yeah, I'm just glad this was nice and happy.
1: For every answer that the show gives us, it raises at least one other question. What it answered was that paradox and bubble. What it brings the question of is how the heck does bubbling mechanics work?
2: Right, because it sort of initially presented to us looks like just a convenient way for gems to you know the crystal gems really just to trap gems and put them back into the temple but now we've seen you know peridot didn't even really understand how bubbling worked and she was able to do it and then it was able to be sent off somewhere and of course now we've seen you know rose quartz gems off in space bubbled so clearly you know gem society at large knows about this ability well yellow zircon used it on lars at the distance Oh, that's true. They were literally using bubbles just right there in the courtroom. So it's like... Yeah, just to shut Laura's up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the whole transportation mechanic, uh, it's it's weird.
1: Yeah, like, do you have to, like, does it have to be home, quote unquote? Does it have to be like a place you're strongly connected to? What if you're not connected to any place? Like, how does that
2: work right and like in rising Mm. tides crashing skies or whatever the title of ronaldo's uh cutting documentary was pearl i think mentions like that moving all the gems from the temple would be like a lot of work but it's like do do they have to believe that a new place is home like do you have to feel it in your heart and tap (laughs) your shoes together and then like you can send the bubble somewhere new I, i i don't really know there's uh, there's many questions in Steven Universe that I have strong feelings that will never get answered, and I feel like bubbling will not get explained more. Uh, if anything, it might get more confusing.
1: My theory with um, how bubbling works is that bubbling in the creation of the show is a very, very old kind of idea. It was one of the first ideas, like, I imagine that the... That Rebecca really had for the show. It's like, oh, these the they hunt gem monsters and they can bubble them and send them back to the temple. And then as the show went on and developed, they're kind of like trying to think of a way for it to actually be explained and if for it to work. And I and I think a uh, kindergarten kid is the result of them trying to uh, explain a mechanic that they had that was just cool and then not understanding or not really being able to insert it in the mechanics of the show all that
0: well. Maybe if there's ever a Steven Universe novel, we can get a page explaining how bubbling works. But for kindergarten kid, I, I am wondering uh, how many classic cartoon references did anyone catch? We we had the obvious Roadrunner. We had the Tasmanian devil face that Peridot did with the marshmallows, you know, that, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we had the uh, I'm smarter than the average Peridot, which... May not be Warner Brothers, but Hanna-Barbera was eventually made a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, so I guess that's how they count that.
1: Yeah, this is clearly a, um, Looney Tunes, like, you know, boomerang that whole Warner Brothers early, uh, cartoons kind of references.
0: Maybe we'll have a sequel where, uh, Peridot does her Elkabong.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see how animation develops generation to generation. Like you look at older TV shows and you see that the writers, like you imagine them in their 20s and 30s, you picture that the, the cartoons they would have been watching when they were kids and you can see those clear influences. And then the cartoons that are going on right now, the uh, crew on those shows are in their 20s and 30s. You look at the... Cartoons that were airing when they were kids, and it was very much Looney Tunes and Boomerang and those old Cartoon Network shows. And- I
0: object, there has not once been a Rocco's Modern Life uh, reference on Steven Universe, and that is what the world truly needs.
2: <laughs> I don't count Wiener in hand. <laughs> yeah, that's about as close as Steven Universe gets to the style of humor of <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life.
1: I mean, it, you you think back on it, one of the really old Cartoon Network Nickelodeon boomerang shows. You had, um obviously, Looney Tunes. You had um Invader Zim, which was a really big influence. I think SpongeBob
2: was... SpongeBob was <laughs> 99. Yeah, May 99. Yeah, so
1: definitely there you had, um you know, sh- like those shows that we, you know, as kids, we barely remember. Like My Teenage Life as a Robot or something like that. You know, all those shows that you know are older now but are playing as an influence into the shows that we have now which i think is really interesting i'm
0: i'm just waiting for the cartoon that's made by the guy who grew up loving dan versus that's the cartoon we need
2: i have never seen dan versus yeah, i man, feel ashamed either. that i don't know what that is
0: it it was it was on the hub which Whoa. was the My Little Pony channel. Okay. So that's how Dan versus achieved its notoriety. It was like so different from everything on that network that people were like you have to see this. And it is glorious. If you ever catch the DVD, they have the the first season out on DVD. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm curious to see, you know, how cartoons are going to evolve in the future because i'm a little bit younger than the current generation working on cartoons right now so i didn't so much grow up on invader zim more as i grew up on like the last airbender and danny phantom and those kind of shows so you know it's interesting to see you know like in the future cartoons the ones after steven universe you know what are what are they going to look like you know how are these generations of of cartoonists going to evolve so i think it's just it's really cool to watch and to see where these influences come from.
0: Now I'm just imagining an episode paying homage to Invader Zim. I don't know what that would even look like. I mean, I know what it would look like.
1: I think the general uh, rule of Homeworld that gems that are bigger as a general yeah. rule have more authority is clearly an Invader Zim reference.
0: I mean, can you can you just imagine Peridot running down the streets of Homeworld yelling,
1: My diamond! My diamond! <laughs> I mean, she is kind of like that.
0: Hella Diamond, just with this look of disgust on her face. Yeah, Peridot is like the Zim, and it's great. She's even green. She's the right She's the right size. She's the right color. You need to get a red shirt for her. She'd look good in red. He wears a red
2: shirt. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about the little backpack for her to wear, like, ah, with even yes. more tools. Like, you know, instead of, she's not going to get the limb enhancers again, but we could give her, like, a backpack. It's going with... to be a Camp Pining Hearts backpack that she jury-rigs.
1: Well, she has her little pink can high heels.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But uh, let's see here. What other wonderful... I mean, well, I already kind of mentioned the marshmallow bag, but just like with his bags of chips having absurd amounts of chips in them, Steven (laughs) gets some really good value on his marshmallows. Uh, I know.
1: Yeah, that marshmallow bag was uh, infinite.
2: Um, yeah, that, that scene, this is probably like the only time I want to mention this because it happens in anything boarded by, uh, Paul and Raven, but, uh, during the campfire scene, we have that sort of, uh, pupils changing shape because I don't know if it's Paul or if it's Raven, but one of them likes drawing pupils really large. And, you know, I'm totally cool with like, you know, Rebecca Sugar forming this team. She was inspired by, uh, you know, shows like Flapjack where like storyboarders get to, you know. Have their own styles and input a lot of creativity and freedom over how they execute each episode but like i feel you know the characters were designed to be in rebecca's words like stretched and pulled in different ways and still feel like the characters they are that's why like pearl has the pointy nose and steven has you know the hair and the gem but like when you change the size of the pupils like mid you know like <laughs> they're sitting at the campfire like pupils small pupils very large pupils very small it, it it messes with my immersion and also just like in general, changing like eye features is probably one of the ways to like most severely make you notice a change in the character. Like that's, you know, the window to the soul. And so whenever I see stuff boarded by them, it's uh, it's like the most apparent, like I know. And it kind of bothers me because I always end up just thinking about that instead of whatever I'm watching. And I wish it didn't have to be that way. But, like, watching again, and it's like, it just flops between them. So, like, Steven's eyes are small, we flip to Peridot, and we flip back to him, and he's, like, all of a sudden, innocent, pure Steven with large pupils. <laughs> so, whatever.
1: I particularly, like, of all the stylistic choices, I do like the large pupils. I think they really fit Steven's character, and I just enjoy it when it's in the show. I think it, like, conveys a sort of personality trait that is very present Steven, this kind of childlike innocence and wonder with those big pupils. And there are a lot of criticisms that have been popping up recently about characters being off-model in the show. And for me personally, I don't really notice... Like, sometimes I will see something that's a bit on the extreme end, maybe on a rewatch, or maybe if I'm looking for, like, references, I'm going to be making my own art. But for the most part, it kind of flies by my head when I'm watching the episodes. I don't really notice the kind of characters being off-model.
0: Except in Same Old World, where the hair is enormous.
1: (laughs) That (laughs) one, that one was- That jumped out at me. Yeah, that one absolutely jumped out at me. And that was one that I really didn't like. But I was, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, eh, I didn't really like that kind of stylistic choice. You know, maybe the freedom was a little bit too far. But at the same time, like, you know, it doesn't bother me that much. Like, it's just, it's the tiniest of the littlest of complaints. And then the art afterwards of the, um, the border who did that episode where they made the hair, like, three times bigger was absolutely (laughs) hilarious Mm -hmm. and completely made up for it. So... I understand where people are coming from, and I'm not saying, you know, don't critique the show, blah, blah, blah. You know, Steven Universe is perfect. But, like, on the other hand, it's difficult for me to find that big of an issue with it. You know, I don't don't really think that it's that big of a problem.
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, the hardest part for me is just, like, that sort of immersion breaking. Like, if it was... Like, I've really loved uh, OK Go and seen those six episodes. And, you know, when you have that freedom to just have complete animated expressiveness and you can go anywhere. You know, the problem like Steven universe is stuck between like being this 11 minute show storyboard driven. In many cases, anything can happen, but at the same time, you have to stick to this narrative arcs that are going on and you know, things are supposed to be taken a little more seriously or more continuity. And so it's really hard to achieve that balance. And like, I'd love to see, you know, storyboarders make even more wild, you know, like we see in Venture Time. There's many cases of guest animators coming on and doing an entire episode in a different style. In Steven Universe, I really liked the whole, here comes a thought being guest animated, um, like looked awesome. And that style was like very noticeably different. And like, I'd love to see more episodes just completely done by someone else. But it's hard when we're at the point of the show where like now we're just doing all these continuous episodes you know so does anyone have a particularly favorite perry plan hmm.
1: um i think they're all bad and include too many <laughs> variables for it to work properly the clearly easiest way for it to do it was to just simply hollow out an injector and just do like the same, like those traps that they use for raccoons and stuff
2: hmm. where you <laughs>
1: have like a little lever on the inside and it, like you what are you going to shoot a cannon at it what you're trying to <laughs> that well, was okay
2: great <laughs> i liked that idea her being that shot was... backwards and the rocks falling and that motif like that was so fun
1: okay but that also bothered me because the physics weren't even consistent like you know screw the model whatever i don't care about that the physics were inconsistent she pulled the lever before and there was no kickback she pulled the lever after and there was kickback
2: yeah, she didn't deserve it. <laughs> and also, karma. that there. plan is the That's equivalent
1: of using a potato cannon to try and catch a mountain lion that is <laughs> roaming around in the wild.
0: Now that sounds like a camp movie I would like to watch.
1: Like, first of all, <laughs> good luck aiming at an animal that is that fast. And B, you're gonna bruise it, maybe, if you're really lucky.
0: I don't know, monsters don't seem to be all that durable.
1: They aren't durable, and that is true. However, they are probably more durable than living organic animals, I might say.
0: Yes. Well, that was a pretty big rock. It got shot pretty fast, so. I'm just saying, I think that would have had a solid chance of scoring the poof.
1: If it had hit it.
0: If it had hit it. Well, it did stop an awful lot. As long as she was an accurate shot, I think she had a chance, if she didn't waste her ammo on demo shot.
2: Yeah. Well, also, ever since we've seen Amethyst's gem get cracked just from falling on a rock, like, all the times Paradox got hit in this episode, I was like, I I was surprised that Steven didn't have more of a reaction to, like, you know, did her gem get hit? Because, like, he's seen that happen before, but- Well, he's he's right there to heal her, just in case. Yeah, well- We haven't seen him heal the shattered gem yet.
1: Well, I mean, it's another thing where it's like, oh, man, you know, Peridot undergoes all this, like, blunt force trauma and doesn't poof or (laughs) doesn't crack her gem or whatever. And I think, like, I don't find that completely unbelievable because, like, you see on YouTube all the time, people doing these crazy stunts, wiping out, (laughs) and undergoing, like, this insane level of trauma and getting up and being fine. And then you hear these stories of, like, people, you know, getting, like, uh just hit on the head kind of hard and then feeling fine and then you know being in the emergency room later injuries sometimes can look worse than they are or can be a lot worse than they look so i i don't find it completely unbelievable that peridot hasn't poofed or hasn't had her gem cracked because you know sometimes it just takes the right angle at the right level of force for something bad to happen you know an amethyst was unlucky
0: I'll tell you what my favorite Perry plan was though, the the hey, let's just drop a rock on it because of Paradox Exasperated, I'm doing the best I can, Stephen. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but too that too was... many variables my butt the rock could fall slightly off from where you wanted it to. The monster could move out of the way long before the rock hit the bottom.
0: Well, I mean, the whole point of that Perry plan is to show that she's not having so easy a time, so she's just making excuses for too many variables that is that is not meant to be an accurate analysis. She's
1: not reducing the number of variables. The way you reduce the number of variables is to just have gem in right location triggers an event that means up the gem will be caught. That's what you would do if you use the injector is like a cage and then just had a, a the entrance that gets closed off
0: that's that's only a valid complaint if the whole point of the scene isn't to show that peridot is becoming unhinged which it is the point
1: it's not that hard for her to become unhinged she's very <laughs> yeah high strung
0: she is the zim uh, but i really liked in this episode how they remembered that stephen had floating powers and it's really really sad that in this day and age I'm happy that they remembered that in a cartoon. Well, I think huh. they
1: introduced this fun mechanic, or this this kind of almost, I wouldn't say cop-out, because it is kind of clever, where, uh, you know, Amethyst says something along the lines, it's like, you could float, you know, if I could do that, I'd be floating all the time. And Steven's like, oh, I forget to use that half the time. You know, I think, like that could also, you know, if the crew universe forget, it could be, you know, shoved off as in, you know, Stephen forgot. Although I think at this point, he's a little bit too um, skilled with his powers for that excuse yeah. to work.
2: Yeah, I mean, he just jumps off a cliff <laughs> with no fear to float down, so at this point, he seems pretty confident in himself. Yeah, he does it twice,
0: so he remembered twice. Which makes me happy.
1: Also, quite the competent caregivers that Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl are letting Stephen camp out in the desert with no food or water besides a bag of marshmallows. Or did he go back <laughs> to the temple to grab snacks and firewood and a lighter?
2: He, right. <laughs> you know, all that stuff just gets pulled out of maybe Pearl's gem or his back pocket.
1: <laughs> or he summons Lion Over like, I have a, an instant camping kit.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Peridot's able to just summon keys at will, so maybe she can also summon, you know, <laughs> marshmallows or whatever. She doesn't even have to pull it out of her gem. She can just pull it from off screen.
0: Peridorito the Magnificent! <laughs> What's this behind your ear? A key! What's this in my top hat? Another key! <laughs> it's, it's the only thing she has besides metal powers. But she can pull it out of various places. Yes. She can pull it from behind this tiny curtain!
1: Mm-hmm. A thing that I find, you know, kind kind of going back to continuity things in Steven Universe, how, like, continuity errors can sometimes be done for comedic effect, and an example of this can be, like, in Spongebob, where they will have uh, continuity stuff, you know, for, as being the butt of the joke, and...
0: Yeah, but shows like Spongebob treat continuity like a uh, maybe, maybe we'll call back to something from a previous episode, but for the most part, they're usually self-contained.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, it, it's the joke sometimes. I think there was this one, I don't think it was an episode, it was a clip, and, like, someone sent Spongebob a letter and, like, all the ink was running, and he's like, oh, well, this person should have thought better, you know, should have considered the physical limitations of life underwater, and they throw the piece of paper into a fire, which I thought was... <laughs> like an incredibly good use of um continuity error mistakes and in steven universe i'm finding them being in this middle ground in in this episode that where it's like the errors are clearly being done for a comedic effect but at the same time it's like not really done all that right so you know this episode like isn't really in the top lists for me because the humor sort of fell flat on me for the most part
2: i thought it was a good and funny episode yeah, I mean, I'd agree with Sophia that, especially on the first watch, you know, Stockholm Syndrome set in later, and I liked it more over time. <laughs> but, like, the first time, I like, I watched a lot of the series with my roommate, who I somehow forced to watch Steven Universe, and that's always an awkward position to be in, so I, you know, whenever watching episodes with him, it's, like, a much more critical light. And so, even though, like, Looney Tunes, you think, ah, oh, classic, everyone likes this type of humor, it's just sort of, um... You know, it just felt more uncomfortable. And so, like, yeah, I mean, if slapstick's not your thing, this episode's completely passable. But also, like, if you are in the position for it and ready for it, then it's like watching Paradox get continually pummeled by rocks or spinning around a Sonic the Hedgehog type loop. And then Steven's bubble-heading her and just then it falling, like, it's pretty... It's pretty good.
0: I think Kindergarten Kid did a pretty good job on the slapstick, considering how it's... I don't want to say it's a lost art, but, like, the masters (laughs) of it are no longer practicing, and no one else is training to become a master, so... I
1: think... Okay, so I think... And this is sort of the thought I'm having right now, but, like, I think the style and animation uh, practices of Steven Universe kind of got in the way of the slapstick humor because a yeah. lot of the humor in animation is very much dependent on how the animation is. And these are just storyboard artists. Like they're not finessing the exact timing frame by frame. They're sending boards to, uh, you know, countries that aren't even in the U S, um, to do the animation. Yeah, there for aren't them. very
0: many countries in the U S.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I'm just, I'm just like, they're sending they're outs. There we go. They're outsourcing their animation and, and so the borders aren't there directly, um, nitpicking at the animation to make sure the timing is absolutely on point. Yeah. And you can tell when the borders did pull in their CalArts animation classes and truly went all out in animating, um, a clip because you really notice it in the show. You really notice when, um, the animation went how the borders wanted it to go. I think, um, uh, some examples were in Mister Greg. and then the the song with Pearl, where it's rotating around her. I think that was very much
0: yeah, animated, I really almost frame by, frame by
1: frame oh, by by the borders. It's the
0: 360 degree hotel.
1: Yeah, and and it's just like I understand that outsourcing animation is a lot more efficient for the show. They can make episodes faster, and animation can be very tedious and it drags behind these borders, so they can't make new content. But on the other hand. Shows benefit a lot by having animation being done by the same people who are writing the show. So, yeah. you, you know, like when you write a joke that's very much slapstick visual humor and you give it to someone else, part of the original intent of the joke is going to be lost. So, you know, you're going to have these problems where, like, I think it was in the spinning around that, that arc that first time, you know, I felt like the timing and the physics of it was kind of off. It, it didn't really feel like, the rock was rolling in a world that we can understand. It felt sort of, you know, the timing was weird. And so I think Steven Universe, in episodes like this, where um, physical timing is incredibly important for this kind of humor, it really does show that the the
0: borders are not the ones animating. Eh, that might be fair. I'm not going to notice the details about the animation in most circumstances. But I still had fun.
1: And also, like, this show is very much trying to promote some sort of message, but I'm kind of, like, it's either not being very specific or...
0: Oh, Steven came right out with the message at the campfire scene. You know, he wants... He's explaining that people will do crazy things, or seemingly crazy things, for very sane reasons.
1: Hmm, I don't know. I just, I feel like... There's something a bit more to the message than the sort of just general overarching sort of, oh, you know, people do weird things, but that doesn't mean they're stupid. Like, it obviously is supposed to apply to some more specific circumstances, maybe multiple circumstances. And I saw. All
0: sorts of circumstances.
1: Oh, yeah. But, like, I saw this one analysis. I can't remember if it was on Reddit or on Tumblr, where someone was saying that, um, that sort of message was supposed to be directed at, like, especially, especially, like, children but also adults who have autism who experience the world in incredibly different ways and thus interact differently and people will assume oh you know this person's just stupid but obviously you know when they're experiencing this world in this completely different way you know down at the senses it it explains sometimes why their behavior is so different or so odd to other people and um I'm not sure if that's entirely what the show was going for, but I can definitely understand that point of view, you know, how, you know, from what I understand of people, you know, with severe autism, you know, the way their senses input information is incredibly different. You know, some things that we don't even notice are like bright flashing lights in their faces, and it can cause them to act out in ways that we don't understand. And so I think that I really like that analysis. I wish I could remember where I saw it so I could find it, because I, I found myself really liking uh, what was being said in it, even if maybe it wasn't exactly what the show was going for.
0: It it might not specifically be autism. It might specifically be autism, but it's a very, very common thing for somebody to look at a person or a group of people and judge them based off of their own standards. And of course, since they aren't them, find them wanting but if you were to actually drill down and look at the details, you'd find that their actions are actually quite reasonable, and in fact, you would probably do the same thing if you were them. Just like Stephen proved a paradox.
1: Yeah, there's this psychology term called the misattribution effect, which is very prominent in social psychology, where, like, you are more likely to associate someone's actions with their personality Instead of their cert- the context of the situation, and you are more likely to associate your actions with the context of the situation instead of um, your personality. So you see someone, you know, yell, like, you know, acting. Yeah, like, I, I
0: know exactly what you mean. You know, if you if you snap at somebody, it's because people have been getting on your nerves all day. If somebody else snaps at somebody, it's because they're a grouch.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you explained it a lot better than I did, but... um. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's also part of it, and, you know, I think the specifics, like, I think the show, I think that specific episode went very much into the details of how that mechanics were working, so I think it's a little bit more than just, you know, misattribution effect, but maybe, you know, maybe they were sort of, it, it like, having in the back of their mind, and, you know, it's like, oh, this is very similar to how, you know, the general population, uh, interacts when they, when they, uh, come into contact with autistic people, but it could also mean a lot of other things. You know, the same thing with the, um, with the, the, the Love Like You saw.
0: Love like you could be sung by everybody. It's yeah. basically the Steven Universe character anthem at this point.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying that love like you is is, is specific as this one, like, but it's the same sort of thing. It, it me, it's supposed to represent a lot of things, not just a two specific characters or a couple specific characters. It's supposed to represent a lot of ideas, and it's supposed to be applied in a lot of different circumstances. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's just. I'm seeing a lot of people's interpretation of the message of this episode and like none of them have really struck home with me, but a lot of them have really like piqued my interest. Like I found them to be really interesting analyses. And I just wanted right. to bring up the, the, the one about autism because it just really stuck with me.
2: Well, that's the thing with corruptions and why, you know, I hope that we can still see more of them. Although the show's currently not really primed for that since we're so focused on Homeworld. but that mm-hmm. was such an interesting concept the first time we were revealed that, you know, corruptions were actually, you know, or well, the fact that they were corrupted gems, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on there. uh, And I'm sure we'll see more of it as Steven deals with uncorrupting them. So hopefully we can dig more into issues like this that are great messages for kids and adults. And Steven Universe excels at that. So
0: I guess that's us on Kindergarten Kid. Join us next week. We'll probably be talking about Know Your Fusion to end the Stephen Nuke retrospective episodes. Well, until then, I'm GC13. I'm
1: Sophia.
2: And I'm David. Leave us a review on iTunes. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit
0: LunarSeaspire.com. Thank you for listening.